Hey creatives, you're listening to The Truth is Golden, a podcast produced by Revelator Studio and hosted by yours truly. My name is Arno, welcome to this episode. It is a show about creative minds, what makes them tick, their successes, failures, and everything in between. It is for people who are interested to learn more about creativity and its potential to make the world a better place. Follow us on our website at rvltr.studio. Today we have the pleasure to count Stephen Shedletsky as our distinguished guest. Stephen is an igniter at Simon Sinek's Start With Why. Thanks, Stephen, for being on the show. It's a real treat to have you. Yeah, likewise. It's great to be here. So let's start with a really hard question. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. I guess I should start with why. So um, every day I wake up with a clear sense of why I do what I do, and it's to engage with people in meaningful ways so that we connect with depth and live in a more fulfilled world, which is what brings me here. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm stoked to, to chat with you today. Um, and uh, for about seven years, I've been on Simon Sinek's team. Uh, started in the mailroom answering fan email, which is a great way to uh, understand both the content and the brand. And now I go out and share the message with workshops and uh, and consulting work and, and speaking, uh, as well as I'm the head of brand voice on our team. So we have deeply held beliefs and values, and it's my job to ensure that everything that goes to the outside world uh, is a reflection of who we are and what we believe. So let's go back in time a little bit, and how did you end up where you are today? pain. (laughs) I would say pain. So, you know, I feel really lucky because there are a couple of very key mentors in my life who showed me pretty early on, I'd say in my late teens, early 20s, what fulfillment really is. Um, And fulfillment is my personal cause. It's what I want for everyone to feel that we are doing uh, things every day that are aligned with our strengths and we're doing it for some sort of social good that we care about, Mm -hmm. um, ourselves included. Mm -hmm. And so there is one professor particularly a guy named Dennis Shackle, Professor Dennis Shackle, who, who showed me both my strengths um, and then allowed me to serve others. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a course I took in advanced presentation skills class. And at the end of the first class, he showed MLK's I Have a Dream speech. And he said, your assignment next class, should you choose to accept it, is to give a talk, five-minute talk, with as much, if not more, passion than MLK, which is like, you're, that's impossible. And we're in Canada, so there are people who spoke about curling or mint chocolate chip ice cream or the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I chose to speak about overcoming my fear of public speaking. Mm-hmm. So I have a stutter, I have a speech impediment, but I've learned to to work with it and overcome it. And I shared with uh, with my my peers, all of whom. I mean, it's it's a it's a human condition that we're all afraid of public speaking. Mm-hmm. I think the Jerry Seinfeld bit is the number one fear in North America is public speaking. And the number two fear is death. So you'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. Yeah. Uh, and so that was the first time where I I gave a talk and it wasn't about me. It was about others. It was about service. And I was mm-hmm. hooked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started my career in the way that I thought I should. And I hated it. Um, and it was about balance sheets and profits and efficiencies. And it wasn't about fulfilling human good. Uh, Unfortunately, I came across Simon's work when I was perhaps at the lowest in my life and career Mm -hmm. and pretty depressed. And uh, I went, yeah, that's it. 
Um, and he was, he's my order. He, he's my MLK. He's, mm-hmm. he's the person who's describing um, a vision of the future that I go, yes, I want to be a part of that. I want to, I want that for myself. I want that for my wife, my family, my, my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a, it was a series of fortuitous events that allowed us to, to walk shoulder to shoulder to do it together. So let's talk a little bit about start with why and uh, what is it and what makes it unique? I would say it's uh, our, I, I believe our purity. Um, so, you know, our, our vision of the world is we imagine a world in which the vast majority of people wake up inspired, feel safe when they're at work and return home fulfilled by the work that they do. Um, and everything we do, though we are a for-profit company, mm-hmm. um, and the reason we're for-profit is to give every other for-profit company no excuse mm-hmm. but to be for-profit, mm-hmm. um, or for-purpose, for rather, mm-hmm. for-purpose. Uh, and I, I believe it's the fact that we truly show up to give and serve. Um, and of course, we are mindful of profits so that we're sustainable, but we will constantly do what's in the best interest of the movement mm-hmm. um, of the world we imagine. So I, I like to think it's our purity. It's interesting. So, as a for-profit company, what is what is it that you guys do? Do you do you help corporations? Do you help people? Is it, can you describe that a little bit? Sure. So we we look to help people who want to be helped. Um, so we're very clear on what we stand for. We stand for organizations that care to put their people first. And the funny thing is, is that when you put your people first, your people put each other first. They mm-hmm. put the interests of the organization um, first, and mm-hmm. that's good for clients and that's good for shareholders um, for the long run and so we we don't care to help um, organizations whether it's for-profit not-for-profit government military um, we don't care to help organizations that think they're perfect we help to care organizations that want to improve mm-hmm. and want to get better mm-hmm. um, and know that you know there there isn't a, a leader or CEO on the planet who who won't agree with the statement my people are important mm-hmm but it's the order in which they treat that, you know, is, is growth, growth more important. And when I say growth, I mean, monetary growth more important than your people. Cause then you're putting growth first, or is it, if we grow our people, our people will grow our business. It's the order that matters. So we intend to work with organizations and leaders who, who know that by putting their people first, their people will put each other and in the interest of the business first. Mm-hmm. It's human. And so can you speak to some of the results that you guys have seen so far? Because it's been going on for, what, 10 years or so? Yeah. So I'm sure in 10 years, a lot has happened. Can you speak a little bit to what some of your clients have experienced? So there, there's one, one client that comes to mind um, based out of Oregon. They're in the aerospace industry. Uh, and we articulated their why, which is to improve the course of history. Mm-hmm. Everything they do, they want to stand for improving the course of history. Uh, and I had the chance to give a talk at one of their all hands meetings. Um, and the feeling was that I received after was, this is interesting. You know, this was them sort of going on this transformative journey to be people first and be purpose first. Mm-hmm. And then I had a chance to go back three years later and share another talk at the all hands meeting around the work mm-hmm. that's ahead for us. Mm-hmm. And what was cool was there were a number of people who came up to me um, at that talk three years later and said, it feels totally different. And people are staying longer. And there was a, a, an open bar. <laughs> it's not that, and, and, and they said, it's not that they're drinking more, they're staying longer and nursing 
whatever's in their hand for longer. Mm -hmm. That there was a palpable difference of people wanted to be there, mm -hmm. of people from different parts of the company that previously were siloed were coming together and just building relationship. Um, and of course, you know, profits and everything came in in, in, in suit. But that, that's something that I'm most proud of, of there was a palpable difference in how the culture felt three years later. Mm -hmm. And can those kinds of differences be tangibly demonstrated or talked about or is it more of a kind of a feeling and it's it's something that's that cannot be quantified i think it can definitely be quantified so um when you have a culture that's working and that's healthy versus a culture that's toxic and not working you can look at absentee rates and sick rates mm -hmm. sick leave um you can look at are people willingly staying late and making sacrifices to help each other out, not just about them, but about each other. Mm -hmm. um, are sales teams helping one another rather than competing against one another? You know, you can look at all these things that indicate uh, trust and cooperation and sacrifice to see something bigger than any one of us mm -hmm. uh, be advanced. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there are definitely metrics that you can look at as well and that we do look at and that the organizations we work with look at. Mm -hmm. So you, you've talked about your why um, a few minutes ago, and, and if I'm not mistaken, it's to engage people in meaningful ways so that we live in a more fulfilled world. Yeah, I've since added some language. So it's to engage with people in meaningful ways okay. so that we connect with depth and live in a more fulfilled world. So can you explain what that means to you? Sure. So, I mean, uh, to engage with people in meaningful ways, I would say, is what we are doing right now. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm the type of guy I remember very clearly... Uh, going to a bar on a weekend to meet up with friends and I had the book Finding Flow in my hand mm -hmm. by Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi flow theory about skill and challenge and I was more interested to speak about that than to talk, talk about stupid chit chatter mm -hmm. um, and yeah I'm a sports fan and things like that things that are sort of frivolous but probably deep-seated from <laughs> things about my childhood that I do care about though I'm, I'm not sure rationally why uh, but to engage with people in meaningful ways it's to talk about stuff that matters emotion future um, fulfillment um, mm -hmm. so that we connect with depth uh, which I think is a natural result of engaging with people in meaningful ways um, and live in a more fulfilled world where the vast majority of us can say I love what I do I love who I do it with and I love why I do it mm -hmm. uh, and I want to live in that world because I think that world will be far more peaceful um, a far better world that if if we are fulfilled by the work that we do we're all the more likely to treat ourselves better our partners better, our friends, our family, our neighbors, mm -hmm. uh, and peace is an outcome. Yeah, I can't, I can't agree more. So if you had a superpower, what would that be? Or maybe you have one. Um, so, I mean, we can talk uh, superhero stuff, but so the, the superpower that I, um, that I think I, I do have and try to cultivate is an ability to help other people communicate their feelings and ideas in ways that move them for the better um yeah that's something i i love doing it's a and great I'm, power to have i'm constantly i mean uh talking about one's purpose and values it's like look at the things that you you do in your nature that you you think everyone does and then check if other people do it so for me personally i will spend time in the shower thinking about how to perfectly word an email mm -hmm. and apparently not everyone does that <laughs> but I think everyone should or does because mm -hmm. that's just my default. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I, I think our superpowers are just our our strengths. Um, and quite often the irony is is we because we cannot be objective with ourselves, we're subjective in our own experience. We just think everyone 
does that, but they don't, mm-hmm. um, at least not the vast majority of people. Which leads to an interesting point because that's usually the, the root of the expectations we have of others. Yes. And if we don't commun- communicate those expectations, then that's where a lot of problems happen because you expect something from someone because it feels natural to you, yep. but it's not natural to them. Yep. And I personally have had that problem so many times. And I still do from time to time. Mm-hmm. And I constantly have to check myself. It's like, did I make that clear? Or am I expecting something that is completely unreasonable because that's just how I o- operate, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, the, and this is, you're pointing, Arnaud, to hows. So we, we have our why, which comes from our past. It comes from our most meaningful stories, both in life and career, mm-hmm. that points to our cause, our top strength, and, 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 our, and the impact we wish to see, to have and see in the world. Um, our hows are our values in action, our strengths in action. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and... And, you know, we were speaking before about, you know, organizations who put their values on their wall. Fantastic. But the equation for culture is values multiplied by behavior. Mm-hmm. If you have your values on a wall, empowerment, respect, guess what? Enron had those too, right? <laughs> yeah. And they weren't living them. Mm-hmm. And even worse, when they were, when people challenged leadership on them, their response was, you be quiet or you're fired, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Values are on the wall. Mm-hmm. You paid consultants many millions of dollars to get them, but they're useless. Yeah. So this is the reason we articulate hows or values as verbs or action statements. So my number one how is exactly what you just described. It's get on the same page and stay on the same page. And it's it's unreasonable at times because, you know, if I go two weeks without speaking with my boss at our company, mm-hmm. I start I just bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Also because we're a remote team. Mm-hmm. So that separation is is exaggerated. So I know I need to ask for, hey, I would love at least biweekly touch points. Mm-hmm. And I also am the type of person that cares to, um, my one of my houses, draw the line, then cross it, which is about <laughs> my humor and about relationship building, Yeah. right? And it's our house are highly personal to us, right? Mm-hmm. So I care more about having a genuine relationship or friendship with my peers and colleagues than just having a typical business relationship mm-hmm. that feels icky to me. Yeah, And that will work in some environments and cultures with some clients mm-hmm. and some teams, mm-hmm. and it won't work in others. Um, but, you know, I'm of, I, I want to work with my friends. I want to work with people that, that I don't have to um, like, but I want to love them and value them mm-hmm. um, for how they challenge me and how they believe in me and I believe in them. So, yeah, our, our, our hows are, are explicit and we can design with others. This is how I operate at my best. Are you game? Yeah. And just because we have that conversation once does not mean we don't have to have it ever again. It's a constant conversation of, you know, I mean, it's it's a conversation of if, if you're in a, a life partnership with someone or a business partnership with someone, mm-hmm. you have the consistent meetings of how am I doing? How are you doing? Yeah. Let's talk about feedback. And I think every meaningful relationship, personal or professional, has to have that level of communication and back and forth because, you know, I don't think past a certain age, people are naive enough to to believe that you never have to work at making relationship works. But we tend we tend to think that um, we can get into um, coasting mode and just yep. um, just hope for the best when there's a lot that can be done by just having more established and open communications on a regular basis. Yeah, and systems that support it. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a quote I love. It's it's dark but true. If you put a good person in a bad system, the system always wins. Mm-hmm. So you have to design a system. So you don't have to, but it helps. So like for example, my 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 partner and I, my my wife and I, I mean we have a toddler now, another one on the way. She's working full time. I'm working full time. We're exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet 
we still need to build the time to have the conversations with, with one another. Mm-hmm. So how am I pissing you off? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what's not working? Yeah. Or what is working? Yeah. Um, you know, and go out to dinner one-on-one and realize, oh, yes, we still do love each other, you know? <laughs> so anyway. Yeah, that's a whole other topic. But I, I, I do think, though, it, it it's, it's another topic because it's personal, but I think it does translate into mm-hmm. the relationships we have um, at work. Yeah, I don't think there's that much of a difference in, in the way to function. Yep. It's different because it's personal versus professional, but the the most meaningful work relationships work on the same level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to go back in time a little bit and, and ask you what you were like as a kid. Huh. Uh, you might have to ask those closest to me, but from what I know, <laughs> a lot like my daughter, yikes. <laughs> um, so uh, I was... I was um, slow to warm up sometimes, but once I was in relationship with someone, I was quite outgoing, tried to be witty, charming, funny. Um, My grade six teacher, Mrs. Tepper, told my parents in a parent-teacher interview that Stephen needs to rely on getting by with more than his charm. (laughs) And I still do that. I mean, there are times where I don't want to put in the hard work. Mm -hmm. There are times when I just want to show up, make a joke, and 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 be done mm-hmm. um and i realized that to be at my best i do need to put in the hard work i do need to pr- prepare and be thoughtful um and uh, i saw i saw that teacher mrs tepper years later and thanked her for that because it's bang on and still continues to be bang on um so yeah i mean I, I had a speech impediment so i i had some issues with confidence and who am i and i'm the youngest of three so where do i fit in um and always trying to wanting to fit in and belong um so yeah, slow to warm up, but once I did, I was wasn't the class clown, but I liked to uh, make light mm-hmm. of things. And for me, to engage with people in meaningful ways, meaningful for me means both um, deep, emotional, but also fun, funny, um, and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So, how would you describe your childhood as an influence into your later life? Ooh. Um. A few things come to mind. Um, you know, I, I had two older siblings who looked out for me, and I think I always do like cultivating relationships with those older, wiser than me. Mm-hmm. Um, at a really stable home, really lucky with, with that. Um, both parents, I mean, dinner every day was kind of our, our ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, dad is a doctor, so helping profession. He... Uh, he works um, predominantly now and has been for his entire career in corrections, so deals with many substance abusers. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's sort of infamously known as Dr. No because he tries to get people off of the substances that harm them and into better lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a really loving, safe, secure childhood. Um, and my grandfather has been a huge influence on me. Um, I'm, he, I'm a lot like him, uh, gregarious, outgoing, not afraid to be the center of attention sometimes, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and you know ego, um, but uh, he is a strong, amazing, inspiring force in my life, uh, and he's since passed away. He passed away about three years ago, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, a survivor and a, and a soldier. So he's taught my family and me a lot. So speaking of people that influence you, do you have any mentors, and um, what do you get out of those relationships? Uh, truth and honesty. So I have a ton of mentors. Um, uh, Simon is a mentor to me personally. Mm-hmm. A lot of people on on our team and people outside of our team as well. I consider my father um, a mentor. And I, I think 
the the thing I most appreciate in the mentor relationships, I think about my my dad. My dad doesn't think he's any better than me. Like I I think the greatest mentor relationships are when you're both mentors to to each other, mm-hmm. right? I don't think this notion of a mentor of like I know more than you and I will show you the way. It's hey, I've got some experience, you've got some experience. I'm happy to listen, to challenge you, to to call BS when I I think you're lying to yourself, mm-hmm. um, to tell you the truth even if it's hard, but mm-hmm. baked from this perspective that I think is good for you um, or best for you. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, uh, tons of mentors and always continuing to look for mentors and to contribute to them as best as I can as well. So we talked a little bit about what you were like growing up and how that influenced you. Did you want to be something specific when you were a kid? Um, <laughs> uh, the I, the first thing I remember was walking downstairs to the kitchen wearing socks, a belt, glasses, holding a briefcase, and nothing else. <laughs> uh, and I wanted to be a car salesman. I loved cars. And then I got to drawing cars, and I wanted to be a car designer. Mm-hmm. And then I went through the old typical doctor lawyer thing, <laughs> and then when I when I went to, I mean I I always loved sort of facilitating and being a host and doing that type of stuff, um, and uh, I mean I think about my time at summer camp and I would always like to make people laugh and entertain them and get in front of a microphone and do some stuff, um, but I, I went away to school and I wanted to do healthcare administration. Um, And the reason I did is I didn't want to be a doctor like my dad or sister, but I still believed in health and helping people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just, I, I fell into a path. I took a, a business course because everyone else was doing it. Um, had a mentor who was a lecturer there who really believed in me and said, hey, go to, go to business school. And when I went to business school, I always uh, gravitated toward um, people, people in leadership. Um, and I want what's best for people. And that's just how I kind of went on this path, um, particularly because I entered corporate environments that were not people-focused and were uh, profits-focused, and I saw the deleterious impact on people's health and livelihood mm-hmm. um, and then joined forces with Simon. So, yeah, from a from a car salesman to uh, <laughs> perhaps sharing and selling a different idea. I wonder what a car salesman with a, a very strong why would look like. Uh, I think a car salesman with a very strong why would be willing to um, be very honest with someone and let them know if a particular vehicle is not for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they would breed loyalty uh, rather than transactions. I think they would build relationships rather than uh, transactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a book on that written by the what is arguably the most successful car salesman in the U.S., Joe Girard. Have you ever heard of I'm that? I'm not, no. No, it's an interesting... Uh, interesting book because his whole thing was build relationships um and he sold more cars at least at the time that was in the 70s and maybe 80s more cars than anybody else ever yep and um, but he ran it like his own business even though he was working for a dealership yeah it, it's a fascinating book uh, well there's there's a book called give and take by adam grant which is yeah, fantastic i read that one yeah. yeah and he so Are you a giver, a taker, a matcher? Mm-hmm. Who are the most successful? And it turns out the least successful and the most successful are both givers. Mm-hmm. The least successful of them are the ones that don't have any boundaries or an agenda themselves. And the most successful are givers who have boundaries, meaning if you ask me for help, 
I won't go out of my way to help you if it's going to hugely negatively impact me mm-hmm. and my goals. Like, so, um, but I will help you and still will pass you off. So if you come to me and say, Hey, can you help me with this? I can, I can say yes. Thursday afternoon. If you say it's got to be sooner, I'll go, go chat with Nancy. She can help you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. So, um, but they studied a glasses salesman, a glass salesperson. Mm-hmm. And this person would often send people to other stores and other people if he didn't have something for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'd go down the street and buy something at Hakeem Optical, but they would glow and speak about their experience about this person who helped them. Mm-hmm. And they would still send their friends there yeah. and would ma- go out of their way to go back there. Even though they didn't make a transaction on the first interaction, they made a friend. And, and, they... and we've all had that experience at some point where you go somewhere and that person cannot help you, but they're being very helpful by not putting themselves first like the right. salesman yeah and and we don't always consciously think about it but you say you come out of a store and someone has been tremendously helpful you say and then you think well, that was great that felt you feel good right? yeah and that's uh that's really amazing we don't off, too too often not see that but um occasionally that you stumble on someone with tremendous customer service yeah it's amazing totally um so i want to talk a little bit about creativity uh-huh What's the place of creativity in your life? Uh, I feed off the energy of others. So um, uh, for me, um, a ton of solo space isn't the most creative space for me. Uh, I get most creative uh, after social interaction or during social interaction for me personally. So I'm highly extroverted. Mm -hmm. I typically get my best ideas when I speak aloud with others. Um, so for me, creativity is, is highly linked to being with other people, um, which poses a challenge on a remote team, but we find ways to, to, to work around that. Um, but I, I find I'm, I'm in my most creative and productive states um, during or right after social interaction. Mm-hmm. And so do you, do you maintain some kind of cre- creative practice, things that make you more creative? What does that look like? Um, I don't necessarily have a vigilant practice, but, um, it's something I'm actually pondering and working on. Um, I mean, for me right now, I, I have lots of meetings and lots of meetings that are over video conference. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, sometimes just getting out and going to a coffee shop is just a fresher breath air and gets things going for me. I also, um, this notion of hopping on a plane and going to a client, there's just something that triggers for me Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, I can keep my home life at home, though I do check in and do whatever I can to help, but I can only be so helpful. Um, and just this notion of hopping on a plane, um, you know, even if I can get Wi-Fi, sometimes I won't get Wi-Fi. And uh, that really helps. That really helps. Um, Why do you think that is? Um, I think there's a huge piece around the social interaction and social social socialization for me. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I think it's also this like con- confined routine as well, um, of of hopping on and doing something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that that helps for me as well. Yeah. Are you a good uh, single serving friend? What do you mean by that? When you know when you're on a plane, um, that that's the notion that they talk about in the movie Fight Club. Yeah. Where you get on a plane and have a one time conversation with someone that you never see again. Oh, yeah, I can do that. I've I've found that personally planes plane interaction has changed quite a bit um personally i i feel as though there's less conversation on planes these days because there's so much technology um so i feel in years past i would have more meaningful 
interactions on planes. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I I'm good at building relationship and trust quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a little bit of a intolerance for people when our value sets don't align. So you know, one of my hows is feed the hungry. So I want to spend time with people who care to um, put people first. Uh, and uh, and if people are interested and want to entertain that, great. And if not, eh, so luck. when you encounter someone who doesn't align with you, what's what, what's your typical response or reaction? Or well, they'll they often won't get it. They'll say stuff like, "Oh, so you're a motivational speaker?" Mm-hmm. And I'll go, "No, communications consultant," and the conversation's over. Or they'll they'll ask questions like, "Who are your clients?" You know, and it's like all sorts. I mean, so uh, I I find that. I just, I'm not so interested in those conversations and I'd rather stick to what I'm doing, reading my book, listening to my music or doing work. Um, you know, I have nothing against them, all mm-hmm. the power to them, which I'm the best. Uh, there just isn't an alignment in how they conduct. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they're willing or want to learn or explore, I could also learn more and explore. I think there's things to learn from them, but um, I'll often just, you know, that's that. And mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm not going to waste too much time or energy. So where would you find inspiration? We talked about creativity a little bit. Now I'd like to know what are the things that inspire you? Um, People, their stories. um, You know, sometimes it can be a really good commercial. Sometimes it can be a great movie, um, an honest movie. And most often it's just the people around me, the people I have the pleasure of meeting locally and abroad who care deeply about the message that we share and are taking it to heart and doing something with it. Um, It's also... uh, I care deeply about service and serving others and honoring legacy. So when I get to hear uh, or experience uh, stories or firsthand from people around service, uh, that that means a lot. I mean, I was I was just at a at a um, I had a was taken to a Toronto Maple Leafs game because let's face it, I, I can't afford tickets myself. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was a few Saturdays ago, and they were honoring um, Canadian military. And they brought out the spouse and two young kids, about a four-year-old and a one-year-old, of someone in the Canadian military serving in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they 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 uh, had this video of him, uh, you know, wishing everyone all the best. And it came time for the ceremonial puck drop, and the general who was supposed to drop the puck went, "Do you have the puck?" And sort of had this funny moment and everyone in the arena laughed and then out walks the husband. Okay. And I mean that someone who is, is sacrificing their personal life to do something that they believe in and advance something that they believe in, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and no one who's in the military is pro war, at least not people that I've encountered. Probably not the ones on the ground. No, they're pro peace. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately the world we live in right now, <laughs> you know, there are politicians who might be pro-war, but everyone wants peace. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, anyway, just to see this guy come back and to see the embrace of his kids and the respect amongst colleagues. Uh, I mean, I was moved to tears. Mm-hmm. So that that inspires me. Understandably. Yeah. Um, so we've touched on travel before. What's your f- favorite or favorite places to, to travel to? Um, for some reason, I really... Uh, I, I love West Coast of North America. Um, it's uh, it's a slower pace. It's uh, more of a focus on nature and activity. So I love Portland, Oregon, Vancouver. 
Um, and then also traveling to places that are very different than Toronto or very different than typical um, uh, Western life. So uh, anywhere really, um, you know, Vienna, Italy, um, I've been to Switzerland. I, I really, I really love seeing places that are different and yet finding still the commonalities, uh, the, the human commonalities. I might have an opportunity to head to Singapore um, this coming fall. And I'm really looking forward to that because I know there are some interesting social conventions there, such as you cannot chew gum. It is illegal to chew gum mm -hmm. in Singapore. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated by human beings. I'm fascinated by cultures and anthropology. So um, any chance where I can go and experience something that to, to both appreciate the unique differences and find the commonalities that, that can give us a shared experience. Can you tell us uh, maybe about a recent place you traveled to that you had a great experience in or a bad experience for that matter? Um, so I was recently in Atlanta and, um, you know, not necessarily the most exotic place, but I, I uh, one of the benefits of traveling a lot is there can be a sports team or a mm -hmm. cultural event that you're in the city at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I missed Paul Simon on his tour date in Toronto, but I had an opportunity to go to Atlanta and I've been to Atlanta quite a bit recently, but I was there last October mm -hmm. and Paul Simon was there and had a chance to go see Paul Simon at an open amphitheater. Uh, and I took a colleague of mine um, and it was amazing. And the thing that was really cool was the Uber drive we took mm -hmm. to get to the amphitheater. And I met this guy, huge, big black guy um, and totally is uh loves motivation and like listens to all these audiobooks from les brown and tony robbins and mm -hmm. and you know he was he was talking to us he was committed to this diet program and he's lost like 30 pounds in three weeks and um it was just amazing that somebody from a totally different walk of life someone who lives in a totally different place than me mm -hmm. um was this amazingly positive inspiring guy um, that you never would have guessed just from looking at him, mm -hmm. you know, because of biases or whatever. Yeah. Um, or the fact that he's driving Uber and weighs a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was just this um, this amazing experience of this guy who's totally committed to himself, his growth, and the growth and experience and happiness of those around him. It was really cool. That's a very interesting story. Outside of your work, and, and to me it sounds like your work and personal life are very much intertwined, but what do you do for fun? Um... I love sports, particularly Toronto sports, um, and I'm fiercely committed to my friends and family. Um, you know, I it's really fulfilling for me when um, my siblings and I and my siblings and their spouses and I or my dear friends um, ask for help uh, uh, or I get to ask them for help and they show up for me in amazing ways. Um, but yeah, I, I love to follow sports. I love to play sports, skiing, baseball, squash. Um, Love me a good sauna, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, traveling as much as, as I can, whether it's mountain or beach or hiking or anything in between. Um, but yeah, some, I mean, uh, in my, my mom, my mom and parents instilled in me very early that friends can come and go, but family's around forever. And the importance of cultivating those relationships, because there are so many families that we know um, there are even, you know, families within my family where there's not great relationships. Mm -hmm. um, but this nuclear family of, of parents, siblings, grandparents, um, putting each other first and being there for each other uh, really means a lot. 
So, I mean, right now, uh, you know, we're having a tough time because we have a three-year-old toddler who's just dropping her nap. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, uh, you know, she requires a lot of entertaining. And my wife is wrapping up work before she's on maternity leave. And so my sister and brother-in-law are doing an amazing job of just saying, hey, come and let's go tobogganing. And Mm -hmm. I can leave my wife and let her just chill and or catch up on some work and we're there for each other. Mm -hmm. So that, that means a lot to me. That makes a lot of sense. Um, we're getting onto the last few questions, mm-hmm. and I want to talk about risk and failure a little bit. Cool. What's the biggest risk you've ever taken? The biggest risk I uh, have ever taken, I would say, is when I decided to quit a stable corporate job and go it on my own. Um, it was, gosh, what year was it? 2011. Um, I was working at Ernst & Young at the time as a people and organizational change consultant. And I just started my training as a, um, a leadership coach. And um, Ernst & Young is an amazing company. They do mm-hmm. great things and you know for their people and around the world. Um, ironically, now we have a partnership with them and I work very closely with them. Okay. But at the time, I was sharing Simon's message and saying, hey, let's do this here. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, that sounds great, maybe in a couple years. And I went... I, I, I'm going to head out and do this because I believe in it. And mm-hmm. if our paths cross again, great. And if not, that's okay too. Um, unfortunately, they, they have crossed again. Uh, but yeah, the choice to to go out, start my own thing, not because I had this great plan, but because I knew uh, what I wanted. I knew I wanted to do this work. I knew I wanted to help um, people become the leader they wish they had mm-hmm. um, in their life and in their career. So that was the biggest risk. Um, and I remember distinctively, I mean, I lived at, at home at the time. And as I was hating my career, I thought, I'll just move out and move in with a friend and that will fix all my problems. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad I didn't do that because <laughs> I would have put some velvet handcuffs on. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember uh, after I quit and started my own thing, very naively, um, I was I was having the right conversations with the right people and getting a little bit of work, but not a ton of work. Mm-hmm. And I was you know, I was living at my parents' home. Um, so I had room and board, but I, I wasn't making money, certainly not nearly enough, what I, uh, nearly what I was making when I was um, gainfully employed. Uh, and I said to my dad, what if this doesn't work out? And he said, give it two years. Anything you've put your mind to, you've been successful at. And my, my dad, who's introverted, not overly affectionate, the fact that he said that to me, and it was so genuine because he's not a liar, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, was awesome mm-hmm. um, it was the sort of belief in me that it said huh okay if he thinks i can do it i can do it yeah uh so uh yeah that's the biggest risk that i've that i've taken and so what would be your biggest failure oh gosh um i think you know and and um i would say my biggest failure or failures um typically have to do with my own attitude or perception so um an ego when my ego gets in the way so i think the i'm kind of going through one right now which is which is great and and awful but this notion of um my role and identity at work so when i first joined our company um i wanted to be on stage and i wanted to share this message and Mm -hmm. be a speaker and Mm -hmm. be an ambassador and if i'm honest Yes, it was aligned with strengths, my strengths. And yes, it was aligned with my beliefs, but it was also due to ego. Mm-hmm. And um, I think both because I'm a millennial 
<laughs> and I was clear on the impact I wanted to make, fortunately, but didn't necessarily have the patience. Um, and because I'm quick to build trust, but those around me may not be as quick as I am. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Simon and our team needed to trust me and needed to know that my pursuit was honorable and not about me. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a shift that happened when I, when I was obsessed and focused on and I think this is a recurring thing for me, Arno, which I think this is the biggest failure I have is when I focus only on the way I want to contribute rather than what's in front of me and how I can contribute. Because when I focus on what I want to do, it uh, it leaves those around me behind. Uh, and when I focus on what's in front of me and what I can do to contribute, um, the trust, belief, and faith that people have around me builds some clout and then great things happen. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in a time right now where I'm uh, some of the things that are on my plate aren't necessarily the things I want to be doing or feel I should be doing, but the things in front of me that I got to do. Mm -hmm. And the only way out is through. And so what uh, what are some of the lessons that you've learned? Um, so I think one of the biggest, so a number of them. Um, so one, I'm, I'm someone who's often clear on vision and clearer on what I want to be doing in theory, but not necessarily clear on the steps to take to get there. And I need help with that. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so some lessons are a team is always better than solo for me personally. <laughs> I'm laughing because this is, this rings so true for me as well. Yeah. I've, I have the exact same issues. So yeah. Can totally relate. Yeah. I'd say as well, um, life, uh, our success in life is always a direct correlation with, people's willingness to take risk on us if you're an entrepreneur if anything i mean if you're trying to attract a life partner it's it's all a risk mm -hmm. you know um to hire you to buy from you to give you support whatever and so i've become very obsessed with how can i create the conditions for people to trust me I'm in a genuine way not manipulatively mm -hmm. um and i and i think uh it's something i'm going through right now as well which is uh, I'm trying to design, you know, doing things every day that I love, uh, and 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 how to do that while still honoring and building trust with the people around me. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I will say um, is, when people often ask, you know, what advice would you give to a younger you, or what advice would you give to younger people, um, you know, particularly millennials and Gen Z and the younger uh, generation, there's an awesome sort of phenomenon that we want to do do well and do good mm -hmm. uh, which is amazing mm -hmm. but you will have many people who leave a job very prematurely because they say quote unquote i'm not having an impact mm -hmm. um and that's fine the question is is what impact do you intend to have you need to get really clear on what impact you care to create and then you can find a place or people who care about that too mm -hmm. and then it's worth investing in so though things at our company aren't perfect and won't ever be perfect the reason we're all in it together is worth it for me mm -hmm. and the direction we're headed and all of the challenges are worth it because the pursuit is genuine. The pursuit is pure and that's what I want to be doing. So that's the perfect segue to the next question is where do you see yourself going in the future? <laughs> the future. I, you know, um, I'm really focused right now on what does it mean to be a good father mm -hmm. and a good husband um, I think it's really easy to focus on career. I think it's something that's easier to control or spend time on. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm I'm really focused right now on this balance of how to have a career I love and am committed to, that I feel successful at, mm -hmm. um, that provides enough for my family. And at the same time, how can I be fully 
present, patient uh, with my toddler, mm-hmm. with my wife. So, I'm yeah. I mean, I'm I, I'm not a person who's like in five years I need to be doing. That. That's just not who I am. Um, I always want to be doing work that I feel is important and that I feel I ought to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm really working right now on this balance of having a career I love and and being really proud of the person I am for uh, those that matter most. So I'm not sure if that answers your question. But it absolutely does. Cool. Um, my second to last question is a bit of a visioning exercise. Okay. So picture yourself on your deathbed and mm-hmm. hopefully that's decades from now. Yeah, let's hope. Um, what would be the legacy you'd want to leave behind? I want people to judge me on the quality of my kids and the quality of their grandkids. So for me, success is um, uh, hopefully being a grandparent uh, and and cultivating, quite frankly, a lot of what my parents have cultivated, um, which is my family genuinely wants to hang out with each other because we like each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I want that for my larger family and my, my nuclear family as well. So, you know, uh, I want to be, I want to be judged on the quality of my children. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's very aspirational. Hmm. Uh, my last question to you is stones or beetles? <laughs> beetles. <laughs> Can you elaborate a little bit? Um, huh. I mean, I, I like the key of C. <laughs> 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 I, uh, I'm more into into poppy music than I am into hard rock. Um, even if you gave me Bruce Springsteen and Beatles, I'd probably probably pick Beatles, but it would be Bruce over Stones. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Stephen, thank you very much for being part of this interview. It was a lot of fun. Cool. And um, hopefully we can have many more of those conversations. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to share with uh, your audience. Hey again, Arno here. If you like this interview, be sure to give us a review on SoundCloud or iTunes. This episode was produced by Revelator Studio with music by Bounce Trio. To be notified of upcoming episodes, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Revelator underscore TO or sign up for our newsletter on our website at rvltr.studio. Keep on supporting creativity and never stop kicking fear in the nuts. Till next time, ciao.